out your spirit on all flesh. Amen. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all
Wonderful God, amazing God. There is none like Him. Amen. Amen. Do you remember what He's brought you from? Do you remember where you were before Jesus came and grabbed you? Do you remember what your life was like before His blood washed you clean? Do you remember what it's like before you realize that you can go into the throne room of the King? And I was praying this morning, I was just like, God, it just hit me again this morning, it hits me a lot, and I just, God, I get to be in the throne room of the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And I know we like to talk about him as our friend, and he is, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But don't forget that he's King. In the midst of that, don't forget that he is King. Don't forget that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Don't forget that he knows all things. He knows the end before the beginning. Don't forget that he has everything in his hands. And he allows us, through the, his son Jesus' blood, to bow at his feet and to be in the throne of the king. He allows you and me to be in the throne room of the king. What an amazing thing. Don't forget where you've been. We don't focus on the past. We don't focus on all the things. And we don't give glory to the enemy. But don't forget that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That he turned your graves into gardens. He turned your ashes into beauty. He turned your shame into his glory. He turned the bones, the dry bones of the land into his army. And he took the seas that were uncrossable and made them highways for you and me. As I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade I never know. And then you came alone and put me back together. And every desire is now. Satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Yeah. 
for me again. From now until the day I die, you're still worthy of all my praise. You're still worthy of all my praise. You're worthy of all my praise, all the honor, all the glory. It all belongs to you. God, don't let us take any for ourselves. Don't let us take anything for other people. Lord, it's only, only for you. Same breath, the stars fell in line with unborn creation. 
I give you praise this morning. I give you a sacrifice of praise. Even when I don't feel like it, I praise you. When times are great, I praise you. When times are bad, I praise you. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. My circumstances don't determine who my God is. My surroundings don't determine my joy. Because the joy of the Lord is my salvation. And I shall rejoice and be glad in Him.
Sing that again, Justin. I will give you. Jesus, have your way in my heart. 
Come on, whatever that looks like, ask him, declare, say, Jesus, have your way in my heart today. Have your way in my heart. Have your way in my family, God. Have your way in my marriage today. Have your way, Lord, in this church. Have your way in this city. Have your way in this nation. We declare Jesus, the Son of the living God, that you would come in power, that you would come in your spirit, that you would come with fire and glory and consume your church today. Lord, we give it all to you again. We don't hold back from you, but we give it all to you again, that you would have your way in our hearts. Jesus. Now, since in my heart, some of you are never going to be the same, that when you begin to pray that way, you may not feel it, you may not anticipate much happening, but God takes it very serious. As Pastor always says, the Lord is taking notes. He's taking notes and he's watching those who made that commitment and prayed that prayer. And I declare over your life today, there will be a before and an after this meeting that you will not leave this place the way that you came in. That the fire of God is going to touch your heart, consume every part of you, and you're going to be contagious when you leave. Can you say amen? How many of you want to be contagious with the fire of God? How many of you want to cause a, a holy pandemic in this city that wherever you go, you leave a trail of fire and whoever you touch comes in contact with the living God? Do you believe it? Well, receive that in Jesus' name. Well, we want to welcome you to Life Church this morning. Thank you for choosing to worship with us. Oh my goodness, it's good to be home. I've been on vacation and I heard that we had some amazing services Sunday and Wednesday night. And I'm telling you, I felt the power of God when I walked in here this morning. Forgive me if I'm a little flush. I haven't been feeling well, but when I walked in this morning to pray, I just felt the power of God in this place. There was no, no worship team up here. Nobody was preaching. I just felt the presence of God. And I have a sense that something amazing is going to happen today. Are you ready to receive because you can come and you can be in the middle of the presence of God and not get touched. You can be in the same room as Jesus and never change. May that not be said of us this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, before we move on, I just want to remind you that at Life Church, we are a generous church. How many of you believe that? That the nations of the world need to hear the gospel and sometimes that takes finances. That our city needs to hear the gospel and sometimes that takes finances. If you are not partnered with God with your finances, I challenge you today to make a covenant with God. I don't care if you say, God, I have a penny. I have a dollar today. I'm going to give it to you as like a first fruits, as a commitment that you are going to uh, open the windows of heaven in my life and in my family. Make a commitment to God to give. And if it's not here somewhere that is fruitful ground, give, sow into the kingdom. God says that if you honor him with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine, I declare that promise over your life as you're faithful to God. Amen. Amen. Well, we, uh, we have a ministry team that pastor, is this enough time, Pastor Tracy? They're here. Okay, Pastor Bob. Why don't you have the ministry team come up? We, we've, we're blessed in that we have an incredible group of young people uh, and, and children's pastor and... And, and youth leaders and everybody else. But one of the things that uh, Tracy Guillory, our children's pastor, has done is she has raised up for several years now a group of young people and trained them for ministry. Now you say, well, they're just young people. 
Well, guess what? That's where it starts. <laughs> They're trained for ministry. How about you? That's right. <laughs> okay. And they are leaving right after service to head for Texas. To uh, Is it Kingwood? Kingwood, Texas. And they have gone now for two years. I think this is the third year. And they're getting ready to hold a kids' crusade. And so they'll be loading up the van and the trailer and heading over there for uh, Monday through Thursday and, and ministering to in another church. And just because they, a call came and said, would you come and hold a crusade for our child, the children in our neighborhood that we might reach them with the gospel? And so we are sending them out. And so we're going to have prayer for them this morning. So why don't y'all come stand across the front? Come on. And there's three more that aren't here because they have a wedding today. So there's, there's more that should be that, um, that are a part of this. And um, don't go, you don't have to go that far. Just stand across the front right there. <laughs> we're not doing social distancing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, just... I can't be so, I, I'm so proud. I mean, really, honestly. And, and I have to tell you, you, you uh, most of you don't know that um, uh, Tracy has is, is been appointed uh, to run the state children's camp this year for, our, for the Assemblies of God in Woodworth, and so they get back Thursday night, whatever, and then she leaves. You got one week. She gets one week off, and then she'll be gone for over two weeks as hundreds and hundreds of kids come in, and she'll be overseeing those camps. God, you know, if you're faithful in the little things, God said, I'll, 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 I'll promote you over many things. And, and she has been faithful for all these years, and I can brag on her. She's my daughter. But I can brag on her because of who she is and her heart for kids and young people. So would you just stretch forth your hands towards this group right here? I'm, I'm telling you, God will use them in an amazing way to reach children. But you know what I've learned? You reach the kids. You reach the moms and dads. The grandmas, the grandpas, the in-laws, the outlaws, you catch them all. I'm just telling you. Father, we just pray for an anointing upon this ministry team as they go. They have prepared hours, hundreds of hours for what they will be doing. They have built props. They have done everything. But God, there is an anointing that is upon them. And as they go, I pray. we pray that they find favor with those they come in contact with, hearts being prepared already, even now, to receive the message that they are going to bring. And that, Father, that you would also reach moms and dads and whole families through children who give their hearts to Christ. I pray this would be a blessing upon the church there in Kingwood, Lord God, and that it would be used to to expand the kingdom of God in their area. We thank you for your protection upon them as they travel. 
We ask for your angels of mercy to guard the van, the trailer, the vehicles, everything, Lord. And that, Father, that we can rest in the fact knowing that this is a divine appointment. A divine appointment on your calendar. And so, therefore, God, we send them out and expect great testimonies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Amen. And I would also like to take a moment to pray. I know she's probably watching this morning. I, I spoke with uh, Becky B.O. this morning. I've talked with her a couple times this week. Uh, some of you know Mac and Becky. Becky, Mac had lung transplant surgery several months ago and has been doing phenomenal in all of that. And however, there's a couple issues that have come up this week that are not related to that per se. And they're just needing God's wisdom and God's uh, direction in that. And I told her that, you know, that's all we need to know is that God give good direction. And I, I prayed with her this morning and said, you know, this doesn't catch God off guard. He's in control. And Mac is in great spirits. I mean, you know, he's like, what is, what is God? Did we just lose it? Did we? Okay. And so uh, can we take a minute to pray for Mac and Becky? They're getting ready to go back to uh, um, MD Anderson on Tuesday for a PET scan. And uh, God, God's got the team. He already knows why and the how and the where. So, Father, we just pray right now, even as I pray with Becky this morning, for the peace of God to rule their hearts and to guard their hearts and to govern their hearts, Lord God the peace that passes all understanding. And we pray for wisdom that comes from your throne, not man's wisdom, Lord God, but God, we thank you for the medical staff and medical personnel and the wisdom and training and knowledge they have. But God, you can speak a word that can cause them to move in the right direction and know and direct their paths. And I just speak the word of peace right now in Jesus' name over their lives, and we give you praise. You have been faithful in so many ways over all these years in their lives, and you have not failed them, and you're not going to fail them now. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to get right into the Word this morning. Um, I mentioned last week that uh, the Lord had given me two messages, and then after Wednesday night, and uh, um, he kind of added to it, and I was like trying to figure out whether I should divide this into two more parts, but I'm just going to go ahead. So how many of you are ready? Okay, here we go. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Justin, can you move? They got it on the wrong slides. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. Here we go. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity 
to the obedience of Christ. Amen? Amen. The message this morning is simply called the breaker anointing. Uh, last week I taught on the fact that how sometimes Holy Spirit will allow things to happen in our lives uh, that seem like they will almost crush us. And, and the enemy whispers that, you know, God's forsaken us and that he's left us and that and we're going to be left as a pile of ashes. But what I showed, remember the illustration with the crushing of the grapes, that even though the grapes were crushed, there was always something left over. And, and if, it's, if it's olives, then it's olive oil. If it's grapes, then it's wine. Then, you know, whatever. But there's always a remnant. And that is through that, if we respond correctly, and this was the key, if we respond correctly to what God is allowing to take place in our lives, then what is derived from that crushing is an anointing. Now, there are, there are things that we can do where we, the anointing of God, God can put his anointing on anyone at any time, but I'm talking about those who allow God to do certain things in their lives that there will, there will become almost, if I can put it this way, a resident anointing. It's there. It's, it, it, it's not something that comes and goes. It's, it's on their lives where they are because of the process that they've been through in our lives. And you say, well, why would God allow something like that to happen? Why would he allow those things? Let me tell you, Holy Spirit has a very clear assignment and agenda in our lives. Now I'm speaking to people who, who predominantly, I'm, I'm assuming you are here today, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, you need to hold on to the end because you need a relationship with God, I'm just telling you. And Jesus has already paid the way for you to have that relationship with him. But I'm talking to people who you've given your life to God, you've surrendered your life to Christ, Holy Spirit is living inside of you, and he's not just there to tickle your fancy, to make you feel good every once in a while. He has a clear assignment. He has a mission from the throne of God himself, Father God, and he has an agenda, and that is that he is here to make sure that Jesus gets what he paid for. Listen to what I'm saying. He gets what he paid for. You have been bought with the price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And what he's looking for is a family of restored sons and daughters who know who they are and whose they are and who carry his heart and who desire to partner with God himself to see his kingdom message preached throughout the earth. And so for this reason, every lie, every bondage, every obstacle that could keep us from becoming the fullness of Jesus' inheritance is a target for the Holy Spirit. I want you to stop and let that sink in for a minute. Everything, every lie you believed, every bondage that's held you back, every obstacle in your way, anything that is going to keep you from becoming what God has foreordained you to be is a target of the Holy Spirit. 
Somebody might say, you mean a target for the devil? Guess what? Yeah, you'll be a target there too. But I'm, telling, I'm talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit of God. That he is here to make us into the image and likeness of Christ. All right? He is, say he is. He is the spirit of liberty. He is. He, he who has come to set us free to know and to love God and to cause us to be created and be, become what we were created to become. That's why he's here. Uh, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago now, I, can, I think it was three Sundays ago, let me put it that way. Um, on, a, on a Sunday night, I told you last week that my wife and I ended up in Foley, Alabama. It wasn't our intention to necessarily go there, but our, we felt a check in the Holy Spirit about our vacation plans to go up north. And, and so we went there, and the pastor had announced to me, he says, you're preaching tonight, right? I told all my parishioners, my congregation, that you're preaching. And so I'm like, okay. And so Sunday afternoon, I put something together and thought it was good. And you remember the story if you were here last week. And when I got done, the Holy Spirit said, what, what's that message for? Uh, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, well, I thought I was going to preach tonight. And he said, well, and, and to what end? And so I said, okay, in other words, this isn't what you want. What is it you want? And he began to speak to me. And, and uh, so I, I ministered that night. Now, this, and again, this was a very ultra, ultra conservative church. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's just very, very conservative. And um, uh, church started at 6 p.m. Normally, it's going to be out by 7.30, 7.20, whatever. We didn't leave the building until 10.35. I mean, the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully. It was almost at times like I was standing next to myself, hearing myself say things and do things that I'm thinking, that's going to get you in trouble, boy. You know? But God was in it. And I'm, and I'm saying that honestly. Give God all the praise and the glory for that. But um, I invited them at the end of the message that night, I invited the people to come forward who wanted just a fresh touch of God in their lives. And at first there was like six or seven people, you know, and I said, if that's all there is, that's fine, whatever. I said, but I felt like there was more. And then a few more people come, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but man, when I used to hear a message like that and somebody give an altar call, I was running to the altar, man. I was like, I, was the, I wanted to be the first one down there, you know, but today people are kind of like, you know, see if anybody goes up, you know, and whatever. And, and, um, and so I invited them to come forward. And so I just began to, I told them to pray. I said, I want you to just begin right now in your own words, right where you're at. You know where you are with God. You know what the situation you're in. You know, you know all that. Just invite him. Ask him for a fresh touch in your life. And as I, as, I, as I stood on that platform walking back and forth, I began to pray in the Spirit, and I began to pray. And, and I was taught many, many years ago by an a, a elderly minister who, who moved powerfully in the gifts of the Spirit. 
He said, don't overclose your eyes when you pray. He said, keep your eyes open because God will show you things when your eyes are open that he can't show you when your eyes are closed. And I saw, I know that sounds strange to some of you, but I learned when I was eight, eight, 19 years old that he was right. And so I started walking back and forth and I started scanning, looking, and little by little as I looked, people started trickling towards the front. And as they began to come, the Holy Spirit began to drop words and pictures into my mind concerning those individuals. And I said, so Lord, you know, and so I remember I walked over to one person and I spoke this word over them and I spoke that word and, and, and the, immediately as they, he showed me things they were battling with, individual things that different people were battling with. And that doesn't happen all the time. And, and um, I remember one, one couple that they came forward and I laid hands on him and, and they began to weep and cry. But as I began to pray over him, I, I remember, I, 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 sounds strange, I put my fist right here. Now I didn't punch him. I didn't push, I didn't kick. I just put my fist right there. I don't know why, I've never really done that before. And, and I just put it on him and, and I heard coming out of my mouth, I heard the words by the Holy Spirit that said, there is a breaker anointing on, and right then and there, it was as if I had punched him in the gut. Guy was bigger than me, so I wouldn't punch a guy bigger than me. Wouldn't punch anybody, but I mean, I wouldn't punch a guy bigger than me for sure. And he just bent over and started wailing and crying, and his wife did too. And I didn't even touch her. I had my wife holding, laying hands on her. And, and, and I, as I, I said, I, I began to pray, and it was like, it was like, bam! It was like God took a hammer, bam! And was breaking down a wall. And he was fourth generation Pentecost. His daddy, his Granddaddy and his uncle, Pentecostal tent preachers. And I knew his dad and I knew his grandfather. I'd met them when I was a teenager, first moved from California to Alabama. And I'd never seen a tent meeting, never heard of those things or anything like that. And, but I saw the gifts of the Spirit move powerfully in those meetings. And there he was in his church. And that when, I, when I said that, he just, and he just wept and cried. And it was like God had taken a sledgehammer and just broke a wall down on the inside. Just broke something on the inside. And so um, as, as we, I, I began to pray for him, and, and, and I literally, as I began to go to different people and God began to show me things, I, I went to a teenage girl and God showed me a word over her and, and uh, I spoke. And when I spoke that word, she just, oh, she just bent over just like just speaking the word. And it was like somebody punched her in the gut. And I said, there's a breaker anointing that breaks the spirit of rejection off of you right now. In Jesus' name. 
and the people all around her, all of a sudden, they started experiencing this thing. It was like, it was like, pow! And, and it was just almost like, like ripples on the water. And, and I remember I turned to the pastor and, and I said, I don't know why I'm saying this, but Holy Spirit is saying there's a breaker anointing here tonight. And, and, uh, and again, we didn't get out of service until after 10.30 that night. And even then, out in the parking lot, people stood out there talking to us for another hour. And then by then, my feet were tired, and I was tired, and I hadn't eaten yet, so I was really hungry. And, um, but anyway, I, it was, I was like, God, I have never prayed that in my life. I've never even said those words before in my life. Where did that go come from? And so the Holy Spirit kind of took me on a journey the last few weeks. And so this is kind of, I'm going to take a roundabout way, but I'm going to come back to this, okay? So hang on, I'm going to try and get through it quick. When Jesus began his ministry, he announced that he, he had been given an anointing to set people free. In Luke chapter 4 and 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Let me just say something, church. You know what's wrong with many of our full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic churches? They think the Spirit of God is on them to make them feel good. He didn't come to give you Holy Ghost goosebumps. There's nothing wrong with that. I've experienced that before. I mean, I've experienced his presence, you know, in, in a way that's just overwhelming and awesome. But he's anointed me, Jesus said, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus started his ministry with that open declaration. And what he was saying was, I have been anointed for a purpose. In 1 John 3 and 8, it says, For this purpose the Son of God was revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that purpose and that anointing, that purpose has been passed on to the church of Jesus Christ at the ascension of Christ into heaven. And, and the enablement of that purpose came on the day of Pentecost. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, do not leave the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He, they had the mission, they had the commission, they had, they had the purpose, they had their reason for being. But he said, don't leave home without the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit on your lives. Now, the thing is that so many people think that those 120 people in the upper room were some kind of superheroes, but they were not. They were people who were filled with the Spirit of God with an understanding that there was a mission before them, okay? There was a mission before them. Wednesday night, at the end of the service, we had a time of prayer. Josh Scanlon preached a, uh, just a great message, and, and then he had people praying. And, and uh, I, I found myself walking back and forth right over in this area, 
And I found myself eventually praying this verse of scripture, casting down imaginations and every high thing. And I got stuck on that part, every high thing, every high thing, every high thing. And I kept praying it over and over and I kept trying to go on, but I kept coming back to that. Every high thing, it just kept coming out of my mouth. Father, in Jesus' name, every high thing, we bring it down, every high thing, we bring it down in Jesus' name. And the phrase high thing, we may not think much about it. We, may, we might be able to quote it, but there, there's an Old Testament reference to this. And I could actually teach for three Sundays on this, but I'm not going to do that. But it reminds us of the external warfare that the children of Israel had going into the land of promise that God gave them in the scriptures concerning idols in high places. And God first referred to high places in the context and the stern warning in the law of, of Leviticus. God reminded all of the Israelites of the blessings that would be upon them as long as they would obey him. But if they disobeyed him and they served false gods, other gods, idols, that somehow he would find someone to destroy their high places. Look, in Leviticus 26 and 30, he said, this is God speaking. He said, I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars. I will heap your carcasses on the carcasses of your idols. I will abhor you. That's, that's some powerful words right there. And originally, these high places were identified in the book of Numbers as places of pagan worship that belonged to the peoples that were already inhabiting the promised land when the Israelites were, were, came in and that God told them to drive out. Look at this in Numbers 33. It says, On the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites. Now notice, he didn't say speak to a few of the leaders. He said speak to the Israelites. In other words, this goes for all of you. He says, and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their carved images and their cast idols, and demolish all their high places. How many of you see the word all there? It says all their high places. He says, don't just kill your enemies. He says, I want you to cast down their idols. I want you to demolish them. I want you to just to destroy them and tear down those high places. God's word's very clear. And when they went into the promised land, they were to destroy those places, which were actually shrines um, and, and altars that were built many times on elevated places. I could show you a few places in scripture where one was in the valley of a desert, another thing. But in most places, it was on an elevated plain of ground near a town, near a village, near a city, whatever. And, and, and there would be false idols on these high places. And the idea was that the physical elevation, the high place was symbolic in the people's part to approach God based on their ideas. In other words, if we build it on the highest place, we'll be closer to God because we'll be on a high place, okay? But God did not want his people to be corrupted um, by thinking that they were gonna be closer to him 
by having something, an altar or something built on a hill or a place of high ground. For God had already revealed himself through Moses and the word of the prophets. And, and there's not enough time to go through all this, but I want to show you something that's so clear about what God said to do, but what actually happened, okay? Joshua took the people into the promised land, right? He led them across. He led them across, but he did not bring down one high place, not one. In the book of Judges, there are 12 different judges in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, not one of them brought down a single high place, even though God's word had been clear that when they enter the land of promise, that they were to tear down every idol, every high place, everything that had anything to do with pagan worship. King Saul, he was the first king of Israel. He not only did not bring them down, but according to 2 Samuel 1.19, he died upon one of them in the battle in, the, in battle with, with the Philistines. King Solomon, I'm skipping David because you're gonna see this in a while, but King Solomon not only did not remove the high places, he eventually used them as places to worship pagan deities. In 1 Kings 3 and 3 it says, and Solomon loved the Lord, watch this, walking in the statutes of David his father, though he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. He loved God, and yet he was, he was burning incense to false gods, even though he walked in the statutes of his father, and he was raised, if I could put it in our vernacular, he was raised in church, raised in a Christian home, loved God, he was the wisest man. I mean, God endowed him with wisdom beyond any person on the earth. And yet it says he sacrificed incense in high places. In fact, his compromise of God's word proved to be disastrous and his wisdom became folly. Because 2 Second Kings 23 tells us that he devoted himself to the pagan gods of the wives that he had been warned not to marry. The Bible tells us that he, he, he loved women and so he, he took unto himself many wives, many of them from other cultures who worshiped false gods and somehow he thought with all of his wisdom that it would not be a downfall for him even though God's word said tear down everything that reminds you of the false gods of the people of the land. After Solomon's death, uh, his son Rehoboam with Jeroboam, they split the king. They split the kingdom. They split it. He had Israel and he had Judah. Jeroboam became the king of Israel, and he even went even further than his dad, in that he he not only offered incense, he led the people into idolatry by erecting golden calves in Bethel. Where have we seen golden calves before? Nobody learned any lesson for when Moses came down and they had a golden calf. And he, he, what he did was insane. He said, you don't have to go down to Jerusalem because that was in the other part of the kingdom that had been split off. 
He says, so he erected golden calves all around his place in Bethel, and he told the people they could come and worship God there. And, and, and look at this in 1 Kings 12, 32. It says, and Jeroboam placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. He, he not only took, ignored God's word about tearing down high places, he made new high places for the false gods and the golden calves that he built. And instead of being faithful to God's word that only Levites could become priests, Jeroboam let anyone who wanted to be a priest be one. First Kings 13, 33 tells us that. And yet in the midst of all this idolatry, God sends an unidentified man of God who prophesies the altar on the high place and spoke of a king who was named Josiah who would eventually come and destroy those high places. 1 Kings 13, verses 2 and 32. Well, let's look at the lineage keeps going on. King Asa, who was Jeroboam's grandson, he was a good king according to the Bible, but he, he failed to remove the high places. He was one of the few kings, both Israel and Judah, who were described as being good kings. He was one of the few, except for the fact that he failed to remove the high places. And this, to me, shows the fact that, that God recognized that they were good, and yet at the same time, there was a flaw and that they failed to obey his word to the nth degree in tearing down the high places. Now, I don't know about you, but that shows me something about the grace and mercy of God. And that is that God knows where we are and deals with us where we are, and he extends mercy and grace, but grace and mercy is not a license to continue on the path in which you are moving. Paul even told the Galatians that. He said, who has bewitched you to leave the message of the gospel that we preach to you? And later on, he says, he talks about the fact in one of his letters, he says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In other words, God extends grace for a period. He extends mercy. How many of you say hallelujah? Thank God he's not a God like I grew up thinking that every time I stepped out of bounds, every time I did wrong, I pictured God, big white-haired God with a big beard, and he had a stick with lightning bolts that came out, and he just waited for me to get out of line. That's what I grew up with. That's the way I, because I, I, I heard uh, all my life, every time bad, something, something bad happened, they said, that's, that's God getting you back. So I grew up with Seeing God is one who just waiting for me to mess up. First Kings 15 and 14 says this, but the high places were not all removed, even though Asa's heart was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. Yes, how? I know we said, how could that be? Oh, let me show you some more. Jehoshaphat. Oh, we remember the story of Jehoshaphat, right? I can't tell you how many preachers I've heard preach on that. Remember when the armies of the enemies are coming against God's people and they, you know, they're outnumbered and God says, what do I, Jehoshaphat, what do I do? And God said, get the singers and put them out front. And I imagine all the, all the infantry going, yeah. 
<laughs> Let's hear it from the chorus line. You know, I mean, really. But Jehoshaphat, who was Asa's son, remember Asa loved God, devoted his whole life. Look what it says. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken down to the people who continued to offer sacrifice and burn incense there. Now, after Jehoshaphat, there was a whole string of kings that I could go down and tell you this. And, and none of them removed any of the high places, and yet they were told as they entered into the promised land, you were to destroy your enemies, you were to tear down their shrines, tear up their idols, and tear down the high places. And, and there's, there's, there's a principle here, and it's the power of example. And that is that what each king did, did made it easier for the ones that followed to ignore the command of God also. Does that make sense? Because this one did it. This one made, was able to do it. It made it easier. And I will say this, parents, hear my heart when I say this. Be careful of the example that you set. Because if you make excuses and you give place for the enemy, your children will see it and they'll go a step further. And their children will see it and they'll go a step further. And that's what's wrong with the church today in America. We've moved so far away from the standard. Landon Ravenhill said that if anybody really went after God with all their heart, they'd think people, were, people would think they were sick with a fever. He said that it was abnormal, but that's normal. We should be going after God with all our heart. One of the only kings that really got the job done was Hezekiah. And 2 Kings 18 says, and he, speaking of Hezekiah, removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles, and crushed the bronze serpent that Moses had made until those days the children of Israel had made offerings to it. I mean, this guy's trying to follow it up. He's, he read he read what God's word said. He, 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 he said, this should have been done a long time ago. And what had happened was that the, peop the people of God, the bronze serpent that had saved them from the serpents in the desert, in the wilderness, I mean, they said people are burning incense to it. They've made a false idol out of it. We're gonna destroy that too. And so he, he tries, but then the Bible goes on and speaks of King Josiah who did the best job. And he was the one who had been prophesied about years before. And, and I don't have time to go into it, but go read 2 Kings chapter 23, the whole chapter. And it goes into great detail about all that Josiah did to get to the root of the idolatrous practices and destroy the very trace of every single one of them. He was the king that God prophesied about who loved God enough listen to me, to do the hard work of removing all the idols and the places of idolatrous worship throughout the land, no matter how popular or how conventional they had become to the people of God. And I don't know about you, but I can almost picture young Jesus reading through there and reading the story of what Josiah did. And somehow that just kind of like, 
set something in him. And maybe that had something to do, you know, I mean, maybe it had something to do with the passion Jesus felt the first time he walks into the temple place then sees them marketing everything and he, he throws the tables over and he, he fashions a whip and drives them out. He says, you den of thieves. <laughs> Man, he was pulling down some high places. Maybe it was that which even allowed him to incur the wrath of the authorities that eventually led to the crucifixion. But what I'm saying is he was like, I am not going to compromise. I am going to hold the course. Now I've said all this to get to a specific verse in 2 Chronicles because it reveals a persistent, subtle, idolatrous practice of idol worship that came throughout the land of Israel. Second Chronicles 33, 17, look what it says. However, the people continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now, what does that mean? God said, tear down every high place. Don't, I don't want to see anything that resembles a high place. When you take it down, take it down. And this was at a point in the history of Israel that they got rid of the idols. They got rid of those who said they would worship those things, but they didn't get rid of the high places. And what they said was, let's give our sacrifices and offerings on those high places, but we'll give it to the God who is the God who brought us into the promised land. They probably thought that that was a great improvement by worshiping only God, the God of the Hebrews in the high places, but it was completely against what God's word said. And instead of removing the high places to the According to the word of the Lord, they used pagan altars to worship the Lord contrary to his word. And so basically all they were doing was, okay, tear down those idols, get rid of all those who do that. Now we're going to use this same place and we're going to worship our God. You know what that is? That's basically rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. Really? That's all it is. They maintained the the outward form of pagan worship as the platform for worshiping the true God contrary to what God had told them to do. Now, if one is going to worship God, shouldn't they do it in the way that God requires and would bless them? See, God wanted them to pull down those high places. He didn't want them to think that somehow being in a high place geographically got you closer to God. And, and, and I felt this word this morning. And I went back and added this in here. God is not interested in the mixture of worldly and heavenly. You see, getting closer to God is a matter of the heart and of true obedience. Anything else is a mixture. 
and God's not in it. Nothing else will get you closer to God than your heart being obedient to him. Did you hear me what I said? Nothing else will get you closer to God than your heart being obedient in alignment with him. So you're probably wondering by now what any of this has to do with my opening statement or story. Holy Spirit spoke to me a couple weeks ago and he said the weakness of the church today is not in the inability of God to set people free. The powerlessness in the church of Jesus today is due to the failure to pull down high places in our own lives. And I sense that there is an awakening in the body of Christ to this principle. And that's the principle that mixture won't work. It won't work. The church today has tried to adopt the marketing principles of the world to draw a crowd. I can draw a crowd. I'll put an ad on Facebook that next Sunday I'm giving away $1,000 to some lucky person who's sitting in one of these chairs. And next week, you won't be able to find a chair. But the following week, they'll be gone. Jesus fed them fish and chips. 5,000 men, the Bible says, plus women and children. And the next day, they all came back. And when he said, I'm not, there's no bread, there's no fish, there's no free food today, they all left except the disciples. And he turned to them and said, are you going to leave me too? And one of them, I, don't, I forget which one, said, said Lord, where would we go? I always kind of read that in. It was like, if we knew some place to go, we'd go, but we don't know any other place to go. So we're here with you. I mean, really. I sense that there is an awakening in the body of Christ to the principle that God is saying, all of me, I will not find habitation. I will not pour out my anointing. I will not manifest my presence. Where there is disobedience to my word. Now please let me say this the best way I know how because I struggled with this because all of us it, it time, it, it one time or another, sometimes many times a day, we, we disobey, we, we, we get upset, we, we, we have doubt, we have fears, we have all these things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where Holy Spirit has said, this has to come down. This has to change. And we think that if we do more of this, and do this that God won't make us deal with this. 
I sense that there's an awakening in the body of Christ to this very principle and that there is a breaker anointing being released to eradicate every last trace of compromise. Let me explain what I'm saying by that. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, it says, in that day, say that with me, in that day. In other words, there is a specific day, there is a specific time, a place on the, on the timeline of God, in that, in that season, in that time, in that day, however you want to interpret it. It says, in that day, his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke off your neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing oil. In the NIV, the early 1984 translation, not the later one, stay away from that later one, it's no good. The, the earlier one says this, it's, that, it's, that yoke shall be broken. It'll be broken, and then not only broken, but absolutely destroyed. Now, why is that important? Because a yoke is a symbol of alignment and partnership. And God is saying, in that day, his burden shall be taken away off of your shoulder, and his yoke from your neck, the yoke that you've had on you, the yoke that has been there, that alignment, that partnership shall be destroyed because of the anointing oil of God upon your life. See, I know many Christians, they've surrendered their life to God and they love God, but they struggle with a specific area or certain, a certain domain in their life, something there. And that one thing keeps holding them back, holding them back. And I'm convinced that God is saying, because you have given a high place. You have given it a high place. You have refused to address it. You refused to uh, uh, see it what for what it is. You you've just kind of turned a blind eye and said, "I sense God's presence. I've seen God answer my prayers. I've seen all of that, so I must be okay." But God is saying, "You're yoked, and you're in alignment or partnership that that is not of God." And Jesus came to break every yoke, every alignment, every partnership with darkness in our lives. He came to break it. He didn't come to patch it up or to hold, break, loosen it or rattle it or whatever. He wants to break it and I'm tired of seeing God's people being dragged down and being held back because they say, I have no power. The reason you're lacking power is that you have not pulled down the high place. You have made a place for it in your lives. You have said, we, I've, I've removed this and I removed this and I removed this and I removed this, but now I'll worship God on this altar, this high place. And God says, don't you put me up there. See, the Holy Spirit indwells every follower of Christ when we repent of our sin and we, in, in our former lifestyle. But like God's people in the Old Testament, we, we're, we're, we will not address certain high places that we, we must tear down. We make excuses for them. We reason why they're still there. 
we convince ourselves that if God wanted them gone, he would have removed them already. But God did not say, as you enter the promised land, I will tear down the high places. I will destroy the idols. I will remove them. He said, when you enter in the land, I will bring you in. But you pull down the high places. You get rid of the idols. You get rid of those things that don't belong and are not of me. John, in his latter writing, said, he that has this hope, talking about the hope of Christ coming back, he that has this hope purifies himself. He said, no, the Holy Spirit's here to purify. Yeah, he will. He will clean house, but he will purify. But you know what? You got to tear down all the junk. I remember years ago, there was a TV show came out and, 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 and there was, these people had always had too much stuff in their house and these people would come in and they said, we got three piles and they would make three piles. I actually did a sermon series on it years and years ago. I don't remember what it was called. But anyway, they had three piles, stuff that, stuff that can be thrown away, stuff that maybe can be thrown away and things that cannot be thrown away. And they'd go through that whole series the first time. And you know what the smallest pile was? The things that could be thrown away. And the biggest pile was all the stuff that can't, cannot be thrown away. And, the, and then the people who were helping go, no, no, this ain't going to work because there, there's too much stuff over here. You've got to go back through. And, and let's start in this pile where maybe. And they'd go through it little by little. And, and, and a lot of times they'd end up fighting either with the, the producers of the show or the you know, heads of the show or sometimes between the husband and wife. It's amazing how husbands would get rid of their wife's stuff and wives would get rid of the husband's stuff and say it's not necessary. But then they'd go over to the stuff that says, no, this stuff has to stay. And they'd go, why does this have to stay? And they'd make their reason why. And they'd go, but is that a really a good reason? And little by little, things would get moved over to this side of stuff that could be thrown away because they're getting ready to revamp and remodel the room or remodel a certain part of the house. And, and they had so much stuff that it couldn't possibly fit in there and do it any, and look aesthetically pleasing. And so they would whittle down this pile until it was acceptable. You, you think, what are you talking about? Second Corinthians, we read it earlier, for the weapons of our warfare, not God's warfare, our warfare. They are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling out of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We justify and choose to live with a compromise of God's blessings and our high places. Somebody said, well, I don't worship idols. Well, let me tell you what an idol is. According to the Bible, in New Testament Bible, okay, an idol is that which is in our lives that supplants, displaces, usurps, unseats, supersedes, or ousts God as number one in our lives. Now that'll mess you up. Because the Holy Spirit right now and some of you is going right there. And he's pointing to something in your life and you're going, no, 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 no. Can I tell you, there's no blanket list 
of what is good, bad, or ugly for any person because the thing that may be that your downfall is nothing towards me. And the thing that may be my downfall is nothing towards you. I mean, there's certain things that none of us ought to be caught doing, right? I mean, come on now. The Bible speaks of the works of the flesh, what they are. None of us should be doing any of that. But there, I'm just telling you that sometimes we think, well, this is not a bad thing. Define bad. In the light of God says, pull down every high place that you have exalted or allowed to exist in your life. What, what is bad? When the Holy Spirit is saying, that has to go. Or this must change. That's a high place. Whether you think it is or not. I'm just telling you. I told you I found myself pray, praying that night in that church about a breaker anointing over people. And I be, began praying over that. And I, I kind of just wrote this down. I'm going to put it up there for you. To me, the, a breaker anointing of the Holy Spirit comes to shatter every point of agreement and partnership that you may have with the devil. You say, I have no partnership with the devil. If you've got high places in your life, you've allowed certain things there. And I'm not talking about demonic stuff. I'm not talking about, you know, like black magic or voodoo or, you know, or sexual perversions and stuff like that. I mean, those are high places. Don't get me wrong. But when we make an excuse for something that God says must change, must go, and we allow it to stay, you've taken yourself out of alignment with God. And now you've made yourself in alignment with darkness. That breaker anointing comes to break the power of darkness in our lives and remove the heavy burdens and the bondages they create. And when that happens, it frees us to align and agree with God. I mean, to be aligned and in agreement with God. The one who says his yoke is easy and whose burden is light. As the Holy Spirit sets us free, he teaches us to walk in freedom. Then he invites us to release, to receive this, this breaker anointing in our own lives, that it, where we go, we, as we minister to others, you may not be laying hands on them, you may not be ministering from a pulpit, but you may be one-on-one -on -one with somebody who's saying, I don't know why this keeps bringing me down. I don't know why this one thing happened. What is the high place? What is the one thing? What has God been dealing with that you will not let him touch? I'm telling you, it's got to come down. And when once we take a hammer to it, pow, once, once, once we take a bulldozer, spiritual bulldozer to it, and we tear it down, and we knock it down, you know what's going to happen? There's going to come a freedom that you sing about and you wish that you had, that you talked about, that you pray that you'll have. It's time to knock down those things, those areas in our lives.
Micah chapter 2 and verse 13. And the King James it starts by saying this. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up. The word breaker means breakthrough. So the new King James says it this way. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break through the gate and go out by it. Their king will pass through before them. The Lord as their leader. The Hebrew words translated breaks open, breakthrough is the same word. And it means to break open, to burst forth, or to come out. It means to break through the hindrances, break through the bondages, break through the delays, break through anything that's been stopping you or holding you back. Aren't you tired of being in the same place day after day, week after week, month after month, and singing the songs that Jesus set me free, and yet you don't feel that freedom? It's time for the high places to come down. It's time to let Holy Spirit have his way. No matter what stands in the way, there is an anointing to break off every hindrance and break everything that is blocking you. Go back to that verse in Micah 2.13 and it says, and they will break through the gate and go out by it. The gate speaks of a seat of authority. In the Old Testament, the, 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 the heads of the city, the leadership of the city would sit at the gate and, and cases would be brought before them and they would decide things. They were the authorities there. As Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, I'm gonna build my church and the authorities of hell, of darkness, I don't care who they are, how big a principality he is, no matter how big a dark leader he is in the realm of darkness, he said, the believer who's filled with my spirit and in line with me and my word will break through the gate and go out by it. I see God breaking down gates that have held Christians back, that have they've, they've been like looking from the inside out, desiring to be on the outside. And God said, this is the season, this is the time, this is the day for this breaker anointing to break those chains off. But there has to be, I'm telling you, God, the Holy Spirit this morning woke me up early. He said, that I'm gonna blow the doors off the gates which have held my people back if they will tear down those high places. That's the end of my message. It's time to pull down the high places in your life. You wonder why you aren't experiencing the true freedom in Jesus Christ? Ask the Holy Spirit right now. Is there an area in my life that I have opened up? Have I left a door open? Have I, have I held on to something that's holding me back? So you can't explain why or how you keep constantly falling to the same sin over and over again. You pray and you plead and you beg God to deliver you, but it seems like nothing ever changes. And what is, it, 
it always seems to come down to the enemy tormenting you. Can I tell you, see, it's not always about sin. I saw God that Sunday night deliver well, strong, grounded Christians. I saw him deliver them of fear. A spirit of fear had been let in. And unaware, it had built a fortress around their heart. And then as things begin to go as they usually do, one thing goes wrong and like dominoes, they begin to fall. Another thing, my child runs away, my child this, my child's in drugs, my job, my this, my this, my this. It's like boom, 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 boom. And they're praying and praying and praying. And they're praying about all these other things. But you know what? They got to go back to the root. Josiah went to the very root of idolatry. He said it's not just about the idols. It's, it's about the high place, the ground on which they are. They got to be leveled. They got to be brought down. And I saw God break through the spirit of fear that has gripped Christians' lives. That is not of God. You know it's not. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what power and love and a sound mind. And yet we're tormented in our thoughts. We're tormented. What if this? 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 Paul's response was, you kill me, I'm with the Lord. If I stay here, I'll be preaching to you. And then one day I'll be with the Lord. I'm just telling you, what is the one thing Holy Spirit has put his finger on in your life that he says must change? God wants to break it off of you this morning. He does not want you leaving with that thing still weighing on you. He wants it broken off. You're sitting there worried about your family. You're sitting there worried about your business. You're sitting there worried. I don't know what you're worried about. You say, well, pastor, there's a lot of things to be fearful of in the natural, yes, but my God is in control. I said, our God is in control. Job said, though he slay me, I will still praise him. Man, when you got that kind of attitude, what can they do to you? It's time for the church to rise up. Instead of the church always running to get a touch, to get a, to get a Band-Aid put over the problem, it's time to let the Holy Spirit bring a Holy Ghost scalpel and cut into that thing, whatever it is, and it's in the heart. It's in your heart. It may have begun as a tormenting thought in your mind, but it's gotten into your heart and God's ready to do heart surgery this morning. Spiritual heart surgery this morning. It's gotta be pulled down and it's gotta be brought under the Lordship of Christ. And if God is speaking to you right now, I want you to stand right where you're at. We're gonna pray over you. I believe that breaker anointing is here this morning. We're gonna pray over you.
Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Jesus. I woke up early this morning. Probably very few in here will remember. But I was singing the words. I began to sing the words to an old chorus. Wasn't sure I'd remember them all. It's only four lines. And it simply said, Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter, every bondage, every yoke. He breaks it. He breaks it. He breaks it. This is the day. In that day, <laughs> I will release. I will take that yoke off of him. I will take it off in that day. I believe this is that day for some of you right now. If you're standing, what is it in your life? Just between you and God, what is it? Holy Spirit put his finger on. Maybe more than one thing, but you've allowed it. You've given it place. You've given it a place in your mind. You've given it a place in your heart. You've given it a place where it has activated itself in your soul and spirit. And it has robbed you of the anointing of God that is meant to be on you. Do you understand how the enemy works? If he can keep you in bondage, then you'll never set anybody else free. If he can keep you behind walls of torment, you'll never set anybody else free. Jesus wants to break that bondage off of you today. He wants to break it off of you today. I just feel impressed to do this. But if you're standing, I'm not here to embarrass you. Will you come forward? And just stand all the way across the front. Just stand all the way across the front, wherever you're comfortable standing. Single line all the way across the front. All the way across the front, come on. From side to side. Yeah, there's more coming. Come on, come on. We got more on this side. Y'all gonna have to slide over just a little bit for all those coming down this side. This is awesome, this is great. This is awesome. This is great. Come on. Come on, Bobby. Come on, Pastor Elliot. Come on. Josh, would you come? I'm trying to see who else is out there. I can't see. I don't have my glasses on. Hallelujah. Don't you come around. Come around to the front, if you would. We're going to pray. But you got you got this day. you got to make the commitment to tear that thing down. You need to say in your heart right now, with your mouth right now, God, on this day, I remove that high place in my life. I tear it down. I renounce it in the name of Jesus. It no longer has any place in my life. From this day forward, 
I'm in alignment with your word. In Jesus' name, I bring it under his authority and I submit to you with my mind, my heart, and my soul, and my spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Holy Spirit, I want y'all to begin to lay hands on them. Just lay hands on them. Begin to pray for them right now. I want you to lay hands on them right now. Where'd Tracy go? She's still in here. She left. You, you can come pray. I didn't see you. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come all this power in your name Stir it up the name Lord. of Jesus to break every chain Stir it up Stir it up Stir it up Break every chain Break every chain Break every chain From this day forward From this day forward From this day forward Be set free Oh, 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 
every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is power, Lord, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the name. Break every chain, break every chain, to break every chain. Oh, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. I feel those chains falling. Those chains falling. I hear 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 those chains falling. Falling for the power of the name of Jesus. He's breaking every chain. He's breaking every chain. Let him break every chain. Let him go, let him go, let him fall, let him fall, let him fall, let him fall, let him fall. Let those chains fall, don't hold on to Don't hold on to those chains, let them fall He has broken every chain, let them fall Don't pick them back up, let them fall So the king I 
Your word is now working and the Holy Spirit's going to put his finger on them. And when he does, we have a choice to make. God, we choose in Jesus' name to tear it down for the glory of your name and your kingdom, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. 